this morning for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be reading from verse 13. So will you stand this morning to honour the Lord for his word? I think the Lord's really going to speak to us through this passage this week. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavour, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. And Lord, will you bless this small passage of Scripture to our ears and to our hearts. May we hear fresh, Lord, from the Holy Spirit this morning. Refresh us, Lord. We trust in you. We trust in your word that it's inspired from above. So, Lord, speak to your people below. Help us, Lord. Open our ears. Unblock our ears. And I pray against any distraction, Lord, even against the heat, Lord, that we may hear from you and you alone. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Now, our last message in the Make Jesus Known series was the Beatitudes or the blessings. And we read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the meaning of this being poor in spirit is simply this. Those who can see and those who understand their need of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they've seen their need for God. And this is a wonderful verse because it comes with a promise. Look with me, it says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as you remember, I put a stress on this word, is. And what follows is the promise. Look what it says with me. Just look at a few of them. If yours is the kingdom of heaven, that's what you desire. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We have this promise of comfort. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, For they shall be filled. And on and on it goes again. If your heart is for the kingdom of heaven, you shall have everything else that follows. Now, we develop the Christ-like character when we, one, yield to his will. We can only develop a Christ-like character to be like Christ When we yield, we're not stiff-necked people, but we yield to the will of the Lord. 
Now, how do we do this? By yielding to his word. We don't need any other special word. The word of God is inspired. The word of God is for today. The word of God is our food. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 33. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. Everything else that you need will be added to you. But the first key is, is seeking the kingdom of God. Meaning, coming under the reign and rulership of God. It's no longer you who sits on the throne, but Christ who sits on the throne. Amen? Amen. No longer you, it's no longer James who sits on the throne. Let's get off our silvery gold throne. Say, okay, Lord, you are Lord, and you are indeed Lord, you're in charge. As much as I think of myself, it's you, Lord. Now, this Christ-like character does not happen overnight, okay? It can take years to develop, but sometimes it will never come. The Christ-like character for some will never come, I can promise you that, unless you yield to his will by yielding to his word. You can be a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 50 years. It means nothing. It's like practicing something wrong for 50 years. I've been doing this for 50 years. Have you been doing it the right way? Now, here's an encouragement from the Apostle Paul. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, okay, and I'll read it from the Amplified Version, because this verse we know very well. Paul says, Not that I've already obtained, which is what? This goal of being Christ-like. I haven't already obtained it. Or have already been made perfect. But he says this, I actively press on. I'm not there yet. I'm never going to be there yet. But I'm actively pressing on, actively seeking God continuously. And I think that would go, I'm sure, for everyone here. It certainly goes for me. I know I'm not there, and I know I'm never going to get there. But our goal is to press on. Now, today's message is this. It's entitled, I chose you. I chose you. Now, Jesus before was, was speaking about the Christian character, how we are to develop our characters. We yield to God and become Christ-like. Christ-like is very much like the Beatitudes. This is how one develops a Christ-like life. But now Jesus turns his attention to the purpose and function of the Christian. We have a purpose and we have a function. And he's going to explain that to us. Now, there's been many messages, of course, on what it is to be salt and light. There's loads of great stuff out there. I certainly recommend David Pawson's teaching on salt and light. It's fantastic. Give it a listen to. Um, but as I often say, this phrase, what did the author intend to say, and how does this speak to us today? We need a rhema word. We need a word that the Lord is speaking to his people today. Jesus said, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the, it's the God of the living. 
He's one who speaks. He's one who converses with his people. He's one who wants to speak to us today. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. I don't know about you, though. Sometimes I feel as though I'm walking among the living dead. Do you ever feel like that? Now, the world, let's just get very serious for a moment, is a fallen world. The world's not getting better. It's definitely getting worse. Sin is prevalent. It's dark. And I suppose when I speak like this, and I do often, I'm called a pessimist. But I'm not. I'm an optimist because I've read the end of the Bible. But I'm also a realist. I'm a realist to what's going on. In the world, it's not a happy place. The death rates are increasing. There's broken families. There are suicide rates, and it's going up and up and up. There's more drugs being prescribed for depression. There's more conditions that people have. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. It's like a piece of fruit that's slowly oxidizing. You can stick it in the fridge, if you like, to try and slow down the process. But it's inevitable how it's going to end. I was in town just last week. And it didn't look good. The only thing I could compare it to is Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sure that's not going to be said from pulpits on a Sunday too often. I think the only difference between what I saw in Cambridge City Centre and Sodom is Sodom had no Bible. Sodom had no Bible. The churches are closed. And the Christian bookshops in Cambridge are no more. There's no Christian bookshops. So I'm not giving you a hypothesis. I'm telling you the reality of what I saw and how it is in Cambridge. However, Jesus said this. I will build my, sorry, my church. He's going to build his church. And it's not in a building. It's the people, not the steeple, as the old saying says. Okay? Now, how would people have heard this, especially in the epistles of the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome or to the church at Thyatira or wherever it is he's writing to? The word ecclesia or ecclesia means this, the called out ones. That's what the church means. The ones who have been called out of the world. If you're a part of the church here this morning, you've been called out by Jesus. You've been called out of the world eternally, but physically you're in the world to represent Christ in this world. You get that? You're called out by Jesus, out of the world, and we've been called to be salt and light in the world. That is our calling. We are the church We are the called out ones. So let's look in verse 13. Let's begin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Now, Jesus is speaking. He says, "You, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out 
and trampled underfoot by men. Now, salt was very valuable in the ancient world. The Romans sometimes got paid in salt. That's how valuable it was. You get your wages in salt. And it's actually from the Latin word sal for salt, where we get the word salary. This is where it actually comes from. And salt was useful. It was useful for many things, as it is today in the ancient world. The Egyptians used salt as a fertilizer. And throughout the Levant, throughout the Middle East, they use it as a disinfectant. Salt was used in the loo. Okay? You went outside, sorry to be graphic, you dug a hole, you did your business, and then you put three scoops of salty salt on it, and then you put the soil on it. That's what it was used for. Okay? However, salt was only useful when it retained its saltiness. If it had no saltiness, it was good for nothing. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Again, Jesus is speaking on this matter about salt and light. Luke 14, 35, Jesus says, Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil, think of the Egyptians using it as fertilizer, nor for the manure pile, using it as a disinfectant. It is thrown away. Let's say it again. Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the toilet. It's just thrown away. Then he says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand what I mean by this. Now hear me. A disciple of Jesus, I'm using the word disciple very deliberately, okay? It's one who's truly following Jesus. Should be, in one way or another, involved in the Great Commission. Okay? A disciple's not just to receive, but also to give. The whole notion of somebody giving you a tract. Oh, and I got saved. Lovely. They gave me a, a chocolate muffin, and they told me Jesus loved me. And then I went to church, and I said the sinner's prayer. And then I got baptized, and we sung some lovely songs and clapped. And now I'm saved. And I'll see you next week. And you have a relatively good week. And then you come back on Sunday. And then you do it all again. But nothing's really changed. This whole notion of this person is now a Christian is disastrous. And it's been a disaster for the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's a great tactic of the enemy. Normalizing Christianity where it's completely supernatural. Making it palatable. This is disastrous for the church. Again, a tactic of the enemy. I think the words of making Christianity mainstream. Think of mainstream music. Awful, yeah? Making Christianity mainstream. A tactic of the enemy. The problem is, is this. 
most churchgoers do not realize, have not been told, have not caught on the fact that they are the called out ones. If you're a Christian here this morning and you know Christ, you're not unemployed, okay? You are the called out ones from the world. Well, I don't feel like it. Maybe because you're not acting like it. But you are the called out ones out of this world for Christ to be used for him. This is your function and purpose. Remember what Jesus said. You did not choose me, but I chose Oh dear. This is a wonderful blessing. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Do you believe that? I'm not sure you do. However it seems to you this morning that you chose Jesus, you're wrong. He chose you. The whole idea of, oh, I made all of my choices Okay, you've got to make a decision to continue to follow him in the hardships. You've got to count the cost. But he said, I chose you. Think of all the times that somebody gave you a tract or mentioned Jesus to you or someone gave you a book at Christmas or a New Testament your grandma gave you. These are simply promptings from other people, from God. You think, well, these words, Jesus spoke to the apostles. Well, what did Jesus say to the apostles? He said, make disciples of all nations, teach them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. Everything an apostle does, you should be doing. You should be thinking about the church, praying for the church, evangelizing, ministering. This is how you keep salty for Christ. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to be salt and light in the world. That's what Christ has called us to do. Write this down. John 6, 44. It said in our time of prayer. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you're drawn to Christ... If you're drawn to the message of the gospel, that's because the Father has called you. Do not think it's of yourself. You you are the called out ones, I'm telling you this morning. And you're so needed. You're so needed in this dark, dying world to be salt and light for Christ. You may not feel like an army, but I'm looking at an army of Christ. You think of Gideon sat there. Oh, you mighty man of valor. He was this skinny little Ahab, like a lot of the men I see around today. Weak, feeble, scared, hiding away. But he was called a mighty man of valor. Why? Because God's going to get hold of him. And God's going to shape him. And God's going to use him. And God's going to empower him for his glory. Now, a disciple, like Saul, acts as a seasoning. The Christian acts as a preservative in society. Otherwise, society would rot and it would rot quick. 
Now consider when I was in Cambridge the other day. No Christian witness, not much going out there. It's not looking good. Now, a little salt, as you know, makes a big difference. Amen? You put it on your steak, it makes a difference. Okay? But a Christian in society, even a few of us, makes a difference. I'm sure it's made a difference in your family since you told them you're a Christian. On your friend group. On your workplace when they find out you're one. Normally people swear in front of me and go, oh, sorry, I haven't said anything. But it makes a difference. Us as witnesses, just with Christ stamped on us, makes a difference. When I lived in Calcutta, the minority religion, there was Christianity, but it seemed to be everywhere. Because it was the Christians that seemed to be making a difference. Now, salt, listen carefully, is different to meat. Okay? A disciple is to be different to the world. And we're to remain different. Okay? We're not to become like the world to win the world over. We're not to bow down to the world and the culture of the world, which is under the sway of the wicked one, to win the world, to bring them into a worldly church. This is, again, another tactic of the enemy. We don't do this. It's a very dangerous time to be doing this. The churches have tried it, and that's why they're closing. We're to be different. We are to be effective in the world, not infected by the world. Let me say that again. We are to be effective in the world, not infected by the world. Jesus said, if salt loses its flavor, how should it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing. Anyone ever heard that phrase? You're good for nothing? Jesus is saying the same thing. More of an old phrase. You're good for nothing. Good for nothing. Now look, how then does a Christian continue to be salty? How does a Christian retain his saltiness. Let me read this quote. A disciple of Jesus is of use only so long as he retains his distinctive quality of discipleship. Let me read that again. A disciple of Jesus is of use only so long as he retains his distinctive quality of discipleship. Now, I'm going to give you two. Distinctive qualities. One is zeal. Yes, Nikki? The other one is devotion. The first one is zeal for the Lord. I was at a barbecue yesterday, and very nice it was. Thank you, Andy. And someone said, well, I brought somebody along who came to visit. And they said, I didn't realize that Pastor James was a fundamentalist. I wear that as a badge of honor. I believe in the fundamentals of the Christian faith. I suppose what they mean is I didn't just come up here and say, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, let's have a sandwich. And the quote that got the person was this. 
Pastor James said that Jesus is the only way. The thing is, Jesus said it 2,000 years before me, and I just agree with him. But that is seen as a fundamentalist. Wonderful. Now, zeal is energy and enthusiasm. Having energy and enthusiasm for the gospel of Jesus. Having energy and enthusiasm for the lost. Why? So they don't go to hell. That's harsh? Yes, it is. The devotion that we're supposed to have is loyalty and faithfulness to Christ and his church. Not just Jesus. Oh, well, I love Jesus. I don't love the church. Then you don't love Jesus. 1 John 4, 20. Write it down, read it, and believe it. You want to shape your Christian character? Wonderful. Join a fundamentalist church. That will shape you. Now, enthusiasm, write this word down, enthusiasm means this. It comes from the Greek root. It means to be inspired or possessed by a God. So the question this morning, are you inspired and possessed by Jesus, meaning owned? Are you inspired by God when you read his word? And are you truly owned by Jesus Christ? Turn with me to Ephesians 5.14. I was speaking with a brother this week and I said, what's going on in the church? And this is what he shared with me. That I believe much of the church is sleeping. And we're only a small part of a wider church. I'm not just talking about this church. Ephesians 5.14, Paul writes this, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Okay, this is for the unsaved, but to the saved, I say this to the Christian, Awake from your slumber, arise from your bed, and Christ will give you inspiration. You say, well, I don't get inspired by Pastor James. Well, I'm not really to inspire you. We need to preach the word of God. And if that isn't inspiring, then you're going to have to get along with the Lord and he will inspire you himself. But it's important that we get inspired, infused and possessed by Christ. That will give anyone zeal for the Lord, zeal for the lost. I don't know if you like me, but when I see people who don't know Christ, I see someone who's lost. And it doesn't really matter if it upsets their day. I try and reach them anyway. Somehow with the gospel. Now look, go back to Ephesians 5, verse 8. And Paul reminds the church this. You were once darkness. Not in darkness, but darkness itself. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You were part of the problem. I was part of the problem. But now you and I are part of the solution to the darkness of this world. Verse 9 says, For the fruit of the light, an older manuscript says, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
Verse 10 says, find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Find out what is well-pleasing to God. We are to live in a way that pleases the Lord and not ourselves. But is encouraging the called out ones to find out what is pleasing to him and the way that we live. Verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, on this verse, verse 11, I would say this, there's a little danger with this verse. I believe that people have been called by God to expose certain things. There may be ministries that expose the um, deception of Islam or the New Age or Hinduism or Catholicism or whatever it is, Satanism. But it's not for all of us to do this. I often find younger Christians in the Lord are obsessed with exposing things, but they never expose themselves to the Lord. They will send you messages and messages about conspiracy theories, whether they're true or not, but they themselves never send any encouraging verses about Jesus or rarely come to church. But it's always about some bad news, conspiracy theory. Did you hear what this person did? Be careful you don't fall in that trap. Be careful you don't fall in that trap. Then verse 12 says, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Now verse 13 says, slightly different translation, But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. All the evil intention of somebody will be exposed when the light shines on them. But what is this light? Jesus says, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. You are to be lights for Christ in a dark and dying world. You are the light of the world. Now, light like salt affects the environment that it rests upon. Salt may preserve or be a disinfectant. However, light illuminates the darkness. Therefore, we focus on the light and not the darkness. Philippians 2.15 says that we as Christians should be shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. In a world full of crooked and perverse people. Does that sound familiar? hasn't changed because man is still in the same state fallen without the spirit there's nothing new under the sun all been said before now as lights our job is to reflect the light of Christ now the contrast of the Christian and the world should be that as light and darkness for all to see, to be very evident there's something different about you to the people in your family who don't know Christ. But they must be exposed to the light. And the intention here of the text is, as a moth is drawn to the light, so are those who are seeking after Christ. However, Christ's light is in you. 
Think of a moth being drawn to the light. There should be something so attractive in you, which is not yourself, that they're drawn to it. I had a friend, a colleague said to me once, I want what you've got. I thought it was my car. It wasn't my car. So we spoke about the gospel. Come to church. He got the message. But he wasn't willing to count the cost. Like the young rich ruler. He wasn't willing to go that far. He wasn't willing to be a fundamentalist. There's a cost. Now... As we said earlier, no one comes to me, says Christ, unless the Father who sent me draws him. So how are we to live? Well, like Christ. Like the Beatitudes, that's how we're to live. How is that possible? By having Christ in me and dwelling in me richly. There's no other way to live the Christ-like life. It's not expected of you. To live a Christ-like life without Christ in you, it's impossible. Therefore, we seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. And everything else shall be added unto you. But we must seek his rule and reign in our hearts and be sensitive. And these days, it's going to take great boldness. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Your Christian life has to be seen by all. We're not to put our, verse 15, lamp under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. We're not to hide away. We're not to shy away. We're not to lock ourselves away in a cloister or a monastery, but we're to be out there and living among the people and to be seen. I know it's hard now with the spirit of offense, with cancel culture, with the fear of, I'm going to upset the LGBT people, I'm going to upset the Muslims or the Hindus, you're going to upset someone. But if you don't live like Christ in a dark and dying world, you're going to upset Christ. Which side are you on? The God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, which means timidness. But he also asks us to ask for wisdom. In how we do things, okay? We don't want to go like a ball in a china shop. Most of my conversations and evangelizing start very slowly, very gently. That's how we do it. Get to know people. Let them see Christ in you. Jesus said this, verse 16, we're finishing up. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me quote this. Listen carefully. A secret disciple is no more use in the world than one who has lost his distinctiveness. A secret disciple is of no use in the world if he's not salty. You must have zeal for the Lord. And devotion unto the Lord. And I would begin with this. Where you can meet with other Christians. Whether here or like-minded Christians elsewhere. Do so. Think of the analogy of a piece of coal. Being taken out of a fireplace. Eventually it's going to cool down. 
And that's what happens. Theologically, we call it backsliding. And you have to pick up the piece of coal once again and put it back in the fire to have fellowship. This is how we keep our zeal for the Lord. Because it's hard out there, isn't it? It's hard to give the gospel. People have hardened to the gospel. I make deals with people. If I get stopped by one of those charity people in the street, anyone get stopped by them? I call them chuggers, charity muggers. We were trying to avoid them. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just give all your money. Well, I don't know. Whatever you do. But if they ask me, have you got five minutes of your time? I say, yeah, sure. If you give me five minutes of your time, I want to speak about Jesus. One, that I believe immediately, which is speaking about Jesus. Or two, they have to concede. Why not? We hear everything else, don't we? Well, I'm offended by Jesus, people say. I'm offended by the gospel. It's narrow-minded. Well, what are you offended about in society? Are you offended about what you see in the schools? Are you offended about what you see flags flying? For those who ever hears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Are you offended by that? Are you offended when people blaspheme the name of the Lord? Does that offend you? Do you have the right to be offended? Use it to your advantage. You want to speak about this? Fine, let me speak about God. We have great opportunities, and I can see a great harvest being reaped for the Lord. There's a hungry, dying world out there. You start getting speaking with people, you'd be surprised. There's somebody I'm speaking to at the moment. I never even mentioned God. I just said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor of a church. Endless question. Why is that? He's hungry. There's a gap. There's something missing. He knows it. And I'm there simply just to answer questions. And God gives us these wonderful opportunities. Now, us as disciples, has given up his rights. We always say, don't we? Not my will, but yours be done. This is a mark of a true Christian. I use the word disciple. Think of this as a picture when Jesus fed the 4,000 and the 5,000. Jesus was walking for days. They were following Jesus. They're hungry and they're thirsty. If anyone wasn't interested in Christ or they're bored or they wasn't receiving uh, what they needed from him, they would have fallen way back. They would have gone and stayed in the last town. Many of them would have gone home. Okay? Christ has taken every one of us on a journey and he wants to see who are really his and who are really not. As much of the church has been infected by those who are not really his. But this is a Christian journey that we're on. Colossians 3.3, Jesus, um, the one who saved the Apostle Paul, who knew where he came from, said this, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're dead. Your whole past is gone. Your life is to live and to please your master. And we must live in a way to bring him honor and glory. Jesus said, I chose you. I chose these people in this room to be salt and light. Despite all the theological questions that you have in your head, one thing is for sure. Christ wants you to give the gospel to everyone you know. And he said, I've chosen you. 
Think of the people that Christ chose. An odd bunch, yeah? I'm odd. Maybe you're odderer. We're a weird bunch. We're a peculiar people. I get that. But look at the people that followed Jesus. Oh, strange lot. Yeah, just dropped everything. Think of Peter and Andrew and James and John. Think of James and John and their zeal, you know? I want to call down fire from heaven. I don't want to do that. But we have to be careful what spirit we're of. It's because the Samaritans wouldn't listen to the message. Let's burn them up. But Jesus is long-suffering and gracious. I've been to the Samaritans, but they still don't want the gospel. Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you. Consider this week of all the distractions that you had and seek the Lord. Ask him, Lord, am I doing your will? Am I doing your bidding? What is it that I should be doing? Because he has a plan for you. Everyone is employed here by Jesus. Jesus said, I chose you to be salt and light. I chose you to be my hands and my feet. I chose you to preach this gospel of the kingdom. I chose you to raise the dead. And I chose you to be my witnesses. Let's finish on this scripture. Turn to Isaiah 43 verse 10. Isaiah 43 verse 10 says, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. This is the God that's chosen you to be his witnesses to be his servant. But you have to believe when he says, I chose you. I chose you in 2023 to be my salt and light in a dark, dying world. Let's be salty for the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's so rich. What a reminder it is, Lord that you chose us. We are the called out ones. And Lord, you've called us out for your glory. We have a purpose. We have a function, Lord. Make that more known to us this week. May these words resonate with everybody here as it has me, Lord. And Lord, we know that you supply all things when we first seek the kingdom and your righteousness, we can guarantee all these other things shall be added. Lord, I pray for everyone to be strengthened in the Holy Spirit, to have joy, love, and peace, and the guarantee of the resurrection. And we ask this.